Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be reading from Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olive, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So uh, Morgan and I uh, have been pretty good friends for about 13 years now, and one thing I've learned during that time is uh, one of the worst things I can do is when we get in the car after worship on Sunday is say, where would you like to eat today? Uh, I don't know if, uh, it's also one of the worst things she can say to me, it's kind of like which one of us can beat the other to the punch. And I don't know if any of you relate to this, uh, that the, uh, the weight of making decisions sometimes can be overwhelming and intimidating and heavy, even the small decisions that maybe don't matter in the long run, like where are we going to eat lunch today? Uh, I read this week that we make an estimated around a thousand decisions every single day. I mean, just think about how many decisions you had to make just to get here this morning. Uh, If you're like me, maybe one of those first hard decisions is, am I going to get out of bed this morning or hit snooze again? Um, We make so many decisions, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And so Today has a little discussion, question, a little something to get started with. I'd like you to think about if you could have any fictional character, uh, if you could summon them whenever you're making a tough decision, maybe not where you're going to eat lunch today, but but when you face those like really hard decisions that you're not sure, should I go right or left here, if you could summon a fictional character, who would that be? Go ahead and and turn and share with your, your neighbor who that might be. I don't know who you said what fictional character you might choose. Um, I thought 
I was thinking of this week about uh, characters who say different things about making difficult decisions. I thought of uh, any Office fans. I thought of uh, Dwight Schrute. I'm trying to remember the, the, the uh, line where he says, uh, anytime I'm about to do anything, I ask myself, would an idiot do this thing? <laughs> and if the answer is yes, I do not do that thing. And I'm like, that's good. That's pretty good advice, right? Uh, making decisions can be challenging. Sometimes the choice we should make is clear, right? Uh, right, wrong, difficult, easy. But sometimes we stand at a crossroads without any clear indication as to which way we should go. And when we bring our faith into it, and we start asking questions like, what does God want? What would God choose for me in this situation? We're adding like a whole nother dimension to it, right? And these situations, it'd be so nice to have that power to to summon someone like a Sherlock Holmes or a Batman to help us make these difficult choices. But often we find ourselves standing at these crossroads alone and by ourselves. And, or if we're fortunate enough to have friends or family around us when we come to these crossroads, they're just as clueless as we are as to what the right thing to do is. And so today we're looking at this thought-provoking text from Acts chapter 1. Last week, we looked at the first half of the chapter where Jesus appears to his followers after the resurrection, and he instructs them to wait, to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And in our text today, the apostles are faced with this critical decision that they make. And it seems straightforward enough, this passage, but I think there's a lot for us to learn here in this little passage We'll consider the significance of Matthias this morning, and ultimately we will be reminded how we can find peace and trust in God's sovereignty when we're faced with difficult decisions. So like I said, last week ended with Jesus ascending into heaven. And if you remember, the apostles are just standing there, staring up into the sky, and you can almost just smell the impatience on them as they're, they're waiting for Jesus to send down this gift of the Holy Spirit that he had told them about. And as a matter of fact, it takes a couple of angels, if you remember, to appear to the apostles and instruct them to stop being so impatient and go and wait for the, God's promise of Holy Spirit. And beginning in verse 12, we're told that they returned to Jerusalem and waited in the upper room where they were staying. And the 11 apostles are named, and we're told that the women who followed Jesus, who were really important in Luke's gospel, they're all there, along with Jesus' mother and brothers, and we're told that in total there's about 120 of them in this place, which is a great start for a community, and it's such a blessing that God, uh, that Jesus did not leave them alone to wait. He gave them community to wait with. Acts 1 tells us that they were gathered together, and they were constantly in prayer. And I think it's worth taking a moment just to recognize what a beautiful glimpse this is of the first church post-resurrection. We often like to start with the church in Acts chapter 2, and we'll get there. It's an exciting place to go, but, but this is the beginning, a group of diverse people gathered together in a small place, waiting on God's promises and devoting themselves to prayer, not so unlike what we're doing this morning. Remember that this is a group of men and women who often didn't get along. People like Peter who had walked away from Jesus when things got hard. People like Jesus' brothers who did not believe at first, yet here they are gathered in unity. They're not arguing. They're not giving each other a hard time about previous failures and missteps. They're together and they are praying, and that's the power of Jesus' resurrection bringing together people who would otherwise never be together, reconciling the irreconcilable. 
Even in verse 15, notice how matter-of-factly Peter talks about Judas, the betrayer of Jesus. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, gathered together. They numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired with this reward, or with the reward of his wickedness, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. There we go. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their language, Hakadama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let this homestead become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it and let another take his position of overseer. This is the word of the Lord. It's a little, uh, it's uh, not a particularly enjoyable recounting, right? It's uh, it's not exactly uh, PG, I guess you might say. It's a little gross. Um, Hope your donuts are still sitting sitting well with you. Uh, But I, I think that Peter is just trying to make sense of what has happened in these last few days, few weeks. I don't get the impression that Peter is here trying to drag Judas through the mud any more than he already has been. I don't think that Peter is trying to heap on more judgment on Judas. I think he's just trying to connect the dots, and in doing so, he concludes that Judas must be replaced. In verse 21, he says, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they decide to replace him. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which you just turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord, but this is also where some disagreement among scholars comes into place on, on how we should read and interpret this passage. If you've read much of the Gospels, if you've spent much time in the Gospels, if you remember from our time in Luke, you'll, be, you'll remember and be familiar with the fact that Peter is often uh, cast as, as, a, uh, as a leader amongst the apostles, right? And, and, and rightly so. He definitely has that leadership quality, but he also sometimes uh, is painted as someone who is a little rash, right? A little quick to jump the gun sometimes. And there are some commentators that argue that that's what Peter and the apostles are doing in this passage. Jesus told them to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and they argue that it was not the prerogative of the apostles to make a decision before the coming of Holy Spirit. They say that God didn't choose Matthias. Rather, God would later choose, later on in Acts, God is going to choose Paul to become the apostle. That was God's man to to replace Judas. Others suggest that the apostles are making the best decision that they can at the time. They use their understanding of scripture to lead them to believe that they needed to restore the number of apostles to 12. They say it was a reasonable thing for the disciples to do. Jesus chose 12, and they felt like that's what we need to begin this, this thing called the church. And there aren't a whole lot of writings or sermons that I found on this particular passage. I don't know that before I started researching for this passage, I had ever heard a sermon on Matthias. 
but the few that you do find, the few teachings you do find, usually go one of two ways. Either the teaching goes something like, the apostles were foolish and impatient in their, in their decision-making. They should have waited longer on God. Or the teaching goes something like, the disciples used all that they had, and they used uh, prudence, and they used their time with Jesus to make a wise decision, and ultimately they left the decision in God's hands. And there's a lot more to be said about these differing views, and maybe you feel pulled more to one than the other this morning. But ultimately, I find it dissatisfying to claim that one of these positions is, is more right than the other. As we go on through Acts and we look at the rest of Luke's writings, he doesn't make it real clear if the apostles made the right decision here in Acts chapter 1 or not. On the one hand, Matthias is not mentioned again in Acts chapter 1. He pops up here for the first time, and we're like, oh, who's this guy? And then we never, we never hear about him again. But on the other hand, we don't hear about many of the other apostles either after Acts chapter 1. They're all listed right here, and then we never hear about them again. The only other apostles that we'll hear again are Peter and John, mentioned in the rest of the New Testament by name. And further, there will be other people who are loosely referred to with the title of apostles, some more than others, people like Paul and Barnabas and James, the brother of Jesus, and Junia. And despite Matthias not being mentioned again, and despite others taking on the title of apostle, we can assume that any time the apostles are said to be gathered together, to be making big decisions in Jerusalem, Matthias is there. And though we don't know what became of him, church tradition suggests that he had a significant impact on the early Christian community. And so here's the thing, I, I don't know if the decision to replace Judas with Matthias was the right call for Peter and the apostles to make. I don't know if that was God's plan. I don't know if that's what Jesus hoped the apostles would do while they were waiting on Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. I'm not sure. Luke, the author of Acts, doesn't have anything to say about if that was the right move or not. And we could continue to wrestle with that, but I think this is a good place to remember what we talked about last week when we introduced Acts. Remember that last week we said that Acts is really more about God's effort in the world than it is about our own efforts in the world. And that the main characters in Acts are not the apostles, but the main character is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And surely if Judas's betrayal of Jesus could still be used by God to accomplish the will of God, then the good and righteous intentions of the apostles are used by God in Acts chapter 1 and following. N.T. Wright once wrote that God can use even the deepest betrayal to bring about his purposes of redemption and renewal. And if God can use our deep betrayals, which come from the darkest corners of our heart, that God must be able to use our intentions that come from faith. Even our mistakes and failures are not outside the bounds of God's sovereign purposes, says A.W. Tozer. Should they have waited instead of voting Matthias in? Maybe. Maybe. But the intentions of Peter and his fellow apostles, as far as I can see, seem, seem like they come from a place of pure and good faith. Peter was searching the scripture he knew for clues about what was going on. He believed that 12 was an important number to the witness of Israel, and he and the other apostles dedicated themselves to prayer, and ultimately they left the decision in God's hands by casting lots. Maybe they should have waited, but it would seem that God honored their intentions and blessed Matthias and the other 11. In moments of decision-making, we long for clear and, and evident signs 
from God, undeniable signs from God. We wish for God to make God's will known to us, and sometimes God does. God's going to do that later on in Acts. No one's going to question whether or not God called Paul. But when we face uncertainty, we can find solace in the truth that God is ultimately in control. Like the apostles, we are called to make the best decisions that we know how to make. We rely on our best understanding of God's word. We seek God's wisdom through dedicating ourselves to prayer. And we unite ourselves with a community also seeking the will of God. Later in Acts, just a few chapters later, there's going to be a story. I don't want to spoil it for you guys, but there's going to be a story where a couple of the apostles appear on trial before the religious leaders of their day. And once the trial is done, this is what is said about them. It says that they, the, the religious leaders, realized that they, the apostles, Peter and John, were uneducated and ordinary men. They were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. As much as we sometimes want Holy Spirit to give us special illumination when we make decisions, spending time with Jesus is sometimes enough. The more we become people who desire to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus does, the more we will be able to start to trust our own ability to make good decisions. You want to make good decisions when you get to the crossroads of life? Spend time with Jesus. Be a companion of Jesus. Pray about the little things. Seek the community of God on the little things. Meditate on what scripture has to say about all the little things. Can you imagine if we actually prayed about all the little things? If we would actually slow down enough? I think that's part of what this first chapter in Acts is trying to talk us, talk us into, is slowing down. What might happen? What if we slow down the next time you're at the grocery store? You're choosing what line to stand in. If you still do that, I think so many of us just do the online order, right? Uh, but if you go to the grocery store, you're choosing which line to stand in. What if you slow down just enough to... to just have a short little thought in your head, a short prayer about where might Jesus be leading me right now? Who, if Jesus were here in my shoes, right here, right now, who might Jesus speak to in this moment? What might Jesus have to say? The next time you're getting a cup of coffee for a boost of energy even, you think about what would Jesus do with this little extra energy if he were standing here, right here, right now in this moment? Next time you're getting out of bed and you're deciding what's that first thing I'm going to do, am I going to reach for my phone, check social media, Am I going to go turn on the coffee pot? Am I going to stumble my way to the shower? What if we were able to just pause for a moment and think, what would Jesus do in this moment right here, right now? How would he start his day? And if we spend time with Jesus on the little things, I think that we'll find it easier to act like Jesus when we get to those big crossroads of life, when it's big decision time. Some of you know that Morgan and I are trying to make some big decisions of our own right now. And I'm constantly praying that God would just crack open the skies and make God's will clear as day for us about what it is that we're supposed to be doing. We don't always see the immediate outcomes and comprehend the full impl impl implications of our decisions. Did I make the right choice or not? This is a, a question that weighs heavily on me often. Maybe it's a question that you think about a lot. But in the meantime, 
I'm doing my best to meditate on God's word. I'm committing myself to prayer. I'm seeking the input of my spiritual friends and family, and I'm trusting that the more that I do that, the more I become a companion of Jesus, the more my desires, my motives, my intentions begin to look like those of Jesus. The more I slow down, instead of rushing into decision-making, the more Holy Spirit is able to bend my desire to look like that of Jesus. The more Holy Spirit is able to renew my mind to think like Jesus. And I think that the same is true for you as well. Even when we're still wrong, and I often am, and we're grappling with our brokenness, the parts of us the Holy Spirit is still working on, the parts of us the Holy Spirit is still tweaking and trying to bend into shape, there are moments when those parts of us that are still flawed will misguide us. We may take the wrong step, make the wrong choice, even with our best intentions. However, in these times, we can trust that God works through our choices and circumstances for God's own purposes. Just as God used Matthias and later Paul both as apostles, God can utilize us and our decisions to accomplish God's will. Soren Kierkegaard eloquently wrote, God does not judge the truth of our intentions by our actions, but the truth of our actions by our intentions. I'm going to read that one more time. God does not judge the truth of our intentions by our actions, but the truth of our actions by our intentions. This means that even if we do the right thing with the wrong intention, God sees our hearts and discerns that truth. But the grace here is that even when we make mistakes, if our hearts remain faithful and our intentions pure, God recognizes and acknowledges that as well. God's grace is ever-present and accessible to us. And as our story unfolds, if we find ourselves on the wrong path, or we realize that our decision was not aligned with God's will, we must embrace humility and be willing to adjust our course. And what a blessing it is to know that as God, as much as we struggle to make the right choices, God is ultimately in control of the outcome anyway. God will set things on the right path. And God's grace invites me to course correct when needed. Decisions are hard. So slow down. Wait. Meditate on God's word. Seek God's wisdom through dedicating yourself to prayer and unite yourself with the community also seeking the will of God. You're here today, and that's a good place to start. And I'd like to pray for you this morning. I want to invite you to, if you'll indulge me, to, to join me in an imaginative prayer. And so I want to invite you to close your eyes, if you will. I want to invite you to hold out both of your hands, palms up. Maybe you can imagine a difficult decision that you're dwelling on. A decision that you are unsure about. Maybe it's a decision that you've already made, but you still feel uneasy about it. 
And if nothing specific is coming to mind, maybe you can imagine a decision that is coming in the future. And you can imagine the weight of that decision. And the truth is that these decisions, they do weigh on us. They are heavy. And if you will, I want to ask you to imagine holding that decision in your hands. Perhaps you can imagine the weight of the decision that you hold. However, it manifests itself to you. When I do this exercise, I often imagine some kind of heavy stone in my hands. Let's bring these heavy decisions, these things that burden us to God. Gracious God, we humbly bow before your throne, seeking solace and wisdom for decisions of our own. In the quietness of this sacred moment, we draw near to you with hearts that are perhaps heavy, maybe carrying doubts or fear about the decisions we are making. As we stand in your presence with hands held out, we bring to you this weighty choice that burdens us. And Lord, we trust in your sovereignty, your perfect plan, knowing that even if we falter, your grace will still shine. And in this sacred exchange, we surrender our control, acknowledging that your wisdom far surpasses our own. And we invite you to take this heavy burden and let it be no more. Replace it with your peace that is free and light and with a joy that endures. And as we release our grip, relinquishing our control and any misguided intentions, may your spirit guide us, illuminating the path ahead with your divine light. Lead us through the shadows of uncertainty until clarity emerges. Grant us discernment and patience to perceive your gentle presence as we navigate the crossroads with faith as our choice. Though outcomes may vary, we find solace in you, for in your love our mistakes find forgiveness and grace. With grateful hearts, we depart from this sacred space, confident that your spirit will direct us wherever it is that we go. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the peace that you bring, and we trust in your unwavering guidance. In the name of Jesus, our Savior and our guide, we place our decision with humble hearts at your feet. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.